Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. Before I actually start talking about what I'm going to talk about, I just had a thought. You know, there was a season where I didn't like reading the Bible. Anybody else? You know, you know, you're supposed to, but <laughs> it just didn't happen. And I finally had this moment of, huh, why don't I just ask Jesus why I don't like reading the Bible? <laughs> so simple. So I'm like, how come I don't like reading the Bible? And he said, because you're only looking for the areas in the Bible where you don't measure up. It's like the only, if the only relationship you have with your parents is to be disciplined, you're not going to want to be around them much. And so sometimes it's our motivation, what we're looking for, that actually causes us to not want to pray or read the Bible. And the thing that I realized when God began to talk to my husband and I about hope is that anytime we read the Bible and we don't get hope, we've just misinterpreted the Bible. Because how many of you know that you find what you're looking for? So if you're looking for proof that you don't measure up, guess what you're going to find every time you read the Bible? Proof that you don't measure up. What if we started looking for something else? Something that inspired us, gave us hope. You know, hope is a really big deal. I mean, kind of like joy. Hope and joy are, are things that I don't think get touched on enough, like joy. The first 15 years of my Christian life, I don't think I heard a message on joy. And so subconsciously to me, joy was an optional fruit of the Spirit. It was like, I'm an intercessor. We don't do joy. <laughs> what do we need that for? <laughs> and um, then we got that revelation, you know, that What's the kingdom of heaven? It's righteousness, peace, and joy. And yet, if somebody said, well, you know, I just don't have the personality for righteousness, would be like, um, <laughs> no, that wasn't an option. But yet we'll say things like, well, I don't have the personality for joy. It's okay, you know, to leave out one-third of the kingdom Righteousness, peace, and joy. If we don't preach all three, it's an incomplete message. Joy is not optional. And so when God started talking to us about hope and telling us that every area of your life that doesn't glisten with joy means you're believing a lie and that area is a stronghold of the enemy in your life. It changed my life because how many of you know 
Sometimes we don't realize that we're believing a lie, but you can tell if it's a lie if it doesn't give you hope. That's the measure, that's the thermometer. <laughs> believing a lot of truth, hope rises. Believing a lot of lies, no hope. So there was this season where I, I just went after hope. I began to check out every area of my life that wasn't glistening with hope, that I didn't have the right belief system for. And I remember kind of thinking, well, you know, there can't be hope for everything and everybody can there be, you know, because we were pastoring and I'm like, I know some people that I don't have hope for. And, uh, he said, well, Wendy, you have permission to be hopeless about any area that I'm hopeless about. He's not called the God of all hope for nothing. It's our, our, our problem's not the problem, our perspective is. It's how we see it. And what I've discovered is that to have hope, you actually have to believe in the supernatural. I have a family member that for a long time I would religiously pray for her because she was addicted to drugs, she was homeless. Every time she had a kid, usually by a different person, she would lose them because she was homeless and addicted to drugs. And I would try to pray, but to be honest, it was almost like I don't think that there's enough of brain cells left for her to even receive the gospel, that she could understand it. And so I had no hope until one day she called me and she said, Aunt Wendy, I just wanted to let you know I accepted Jesus. And I'm like, how? <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> that was my first thought because... <laughs> You know, I could start a whole new evangelism class if I just knew what happened to you. <laughs> and she said, I was sitting on a bench waiting for a bus, and I went into a trance. <laughs> and she describes this whole vision in her trance. I mean, she's in a public place on a park bench, and she's in this trance, and she comes out of it completely delivered and saved. And I remember when she told me about that, I realized, oh, that's why I didn't have hope. I didn't factor in the supernatural. If you don't have hope, it's probably because you don't, you haven't factored in God, what he can do, and the power of that unseen realm to, to change people's lives. One of our, Steve and I's favorite stories is we had an intern, Levi, you guys know him. <laughs> so he's probably shared that story about, you know, the atheist thing. All right, just in case you haven't heard it, and hopefully I'm sharing it correctly, but he was in England, and he, before that, Every time he tried to witness to people who were atheists, he just couldn't get them saved. And so he had this belief system that he can't witness to atheists. 
And so he hears Steve and I's message, and so he realizes, okay, I don't have hope for leading atheists to the Lord, so what I need is a new belief system. So he just, you know, came up with this great declaration. Every time I'm around an atheist, God always shows up. Well, that was his declaration. And so he goes to England, he's out on the streets, and he sees a group of teenagers, and, you know, hi, I'm Levi. I just, you know, he shares a little bit of the gospel, and one girl kind of swaggers up and goes, well, I'm an atheist. And he said, oh, really? That's so exciting. <laughs> and I'm like picturing these girls, they're probably like, what's so exciting about that? And he goes, because every time I'm around an atheist, God shows up. <laughs> and then he goes, do you want to feel him? And, I, you know, I've got a great imagination, so I'm like, they're probably humoring him, like, yeah, sure. And he goes, well, put your hands out and repeat after me. Holy Spirit, come. And Holy Spirit shows up, atheist girl begins to cry, comes to the Lord. And I always remind myself of that, that sometimes we don't see results because we're doing things out of obedience, but we don't have the right belief system for doing it. I used to hate evangelism. So I asked God, why, why don't I like to evangelize? And he goes, because you don't believe anybody wants to get saved. You know, as a leader, I didn't say this, but this is what my spirit was thinking. Hey, let's go out and witness on Saturday and see nothing happen. <laughs> that sounds fun. If we, it, it's not enough. I mean, obedience is good, but we have to actually have a belief system attached to the obedience that something's going to happen. What are we believing? We tend to live our life without actually asking questions about, you know, how do I, why don't I like to do this? Why? Is this hard for me? Why do I get all stressed for this? Like one time I um, was going <laughs> to, we were pastoring in, in Nevada, and there was this lady who was, she was starting to do things that were affecting the church, and so I got volunteered to confront her. <laughs> Not my favorite thing to do. And so it's about an hour before the meeting with her, and I'm vacuuming, and I get this thought of, I wish I could be sick, you know, because in my mind, being sick sounded like more fun <laughs> than confronting this lady. And I'm, you know, thinking along those lines, and then all of a sudden, God goes, Wendy, why are you dreading this meeting? And I'm like, because you know what she's like. She's going to get angry and defensive. It's just going to be a bit, I'm just opening up a big mess. 
And he goes, well, if that's your belief for the, for the meeting, I don't want you to go. And I knew he wasn't giving me permission to cancel. <clears throat> that was pretty obvious. So I'm like, well, what should my belief be? I mean, because I thought my belief was based on reality. This lady is an angry, bitter woman, and she doesn't receive correction well. So I'm like, well, what should my belief be? And he said, well, right now, you have more faith in what she carries than in what you carry. I want you to believe that you carry the love of God and a mothering, nurturing spirit that will make her feel safe and make her feel loved even in the midst of what you have to say. And I want you to believe that that presence and what you're carrying will influence her instead of what she carries in influencing you. And it was like the meeting went great. Yeah. My husband's a master at this. I used to sometimes hang out in the church when he was meeting with people in his office just to see their look when they came out. They come out of the office all happy, and I'm like, oh, how'd it go? And he goes, they start talking about, and I remember this one lady goes, I think I was corrected. <laughs> and I'm like, you probably were, <laughs> and you have no idea. <laughs> but he had so much faith and hope for people. And I remember God telling me, Wendy, I do not want you to counsel anybody that you don't have hope for. Because you can say all the right words. You can give them the best information that you have. But your beliefs about them will taint what you say. Because our words are spirit. They ride on the spirit of your beliefs. It's like sometimes my husband and I, we have this little thing where if we're irritated and so we finally, you know, we'll say something about what they're doing and, you know, maybe even use scripture. <clears throat> and we have this little saying where we'll go, that that's truth, but it, it tastes funny. You know, you can have great water, but if it goes through rusty pipes, it doesn't taste good. It's not the water's fault. It's what it's passing through. There's this spirit that we have to have. People need to know that you believe they can change. Because right now, they probably don't believe they can. I know for me, that was a lot of the reason I gave up on certain things was because I kept failing, and it was like, why even try anymore? This is the way I am. I didn't need more counsel on, or even, you know, just be held accountable to it. I needed belief that I could do it, that there was something new in me 
that there was a different reason for it and to have hope. And so to me, in counseling, the biggest thing you could give people is hope. One of my biggest lies that I lived with was that I would never change. And we all have areas that because of past failure, we feel like I'll never change in that area. And you won't until you begin to have hope and get a vision for something new. I remember once talking to this one lady, trying to give her hope, and she said, but Wendy, I need to be realistic. And then I started hearing that a lot. All these people saying they need to be realistic. They don't want to get their hopes up. And so I'm like, God, what do I say to that? That sounds, yeah, don't we all need to be realistic? What do I say when they say that? And he goes, tell them no, they don't. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if that'll go over real good. And he goes, tell them I haven't called, called them to be realistic. I've called them to be supernatural. The other thing I hear people say is, well, you know, that's just not me. I need to be authentic. Because I tried that with God once. I'm not, you know, worshipy, you know, jumpy round. I, I'm shy and quiet. And, you know, I, I need to be authentic. And he said, who do you want to be authentic to? Your dead self or your resurrected self? authentic to my dead self, who I was? Why is it that we tend to challenge the word of God with our experience instead of challenge our experience with the word of God? Yes. Declaration. I am bold as a lion. I'm a bold person having a shy experience, but it's not who I am. That's me living out of my past. I remember God said, you know, Wendy, your past is not what's going to hold you back. It's the beliefs you made about yourself when the past happened that's going to hold you back. When we make statements about ourselves based on what happened to us, those are our limitations. When we come into agreement, it just feels so real. So this whole concept of going after, you know, the way our brains work. <laughs> I actually have a plaque in my house that says, don't believe everything you think. Do you know that our brains are only conscious of 
40% of what your eyes actually see. I mean, not even half. That means if you look around the room, you'll only be conscious of 40%. And, and how does that come about? We only see what we have a grid or a concept for. So, we're, our brains literally have strongholds. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, when it talks about tearing down strongholds and taking every lie captive, it's talking about strongholds of the brain. And science has really proven that you do have strongholds. And what's a stronghold? It's a place that's been taken and it's defending its right to stay there. That's what, it's, you know, you build that barricade so that nobody can move you from that place. So if you have a stronghold of a belief that nobody likes you, your brain literally every day is looking for proof for its right to stay. It's building a barricade. So what happens, and this is science, is your brain looks for proof that nobody likes you. It will not notice the hundred people who do. Literally. Won't notice. Won't focus on it. I actually had a friend who should have, does have a great healing ministry. And one Sunday in the church we were pastoring, we had her get up and just kind of lead a healing ministry, and it was a powerful time, and the church service was over, and I'm standing there next to her, and three or four people are coming up, and they're like, oh, that was so great, thank you for those words, you know, that was exciting, you have such an anointing for this, and the next day, I went out to lunch with her, and she said, how come nobody notices that I have a healing anointing? And I'm like, I was standing next to you yesterday, and a bunch of people noticed it. She literally could not remember it. Because her brain wasn't looking for proof that people noticed her anointing. She was, had such a stronghold in her life that nobody noticed her, nobody valued her. And that's all she could see. Our brain is playing tricks on us every day. We have to have a concept for the, the unseen realm and the angelic if we really want to start stepping into seeing it. When you really read the Bible, it's shocking how much in everyday life the angelic played a part in their life. I mean, my favorite story is when Peter's in jail and angel comes and lets him out and Peter goes to the house where all the disciples are praying, knocks on the door and the servant girl opens it. She's so shocked to see Peter. She slams the door in his face and then goes to the rest of the disciples and says, Peter's at the door. And this just blows me away. They go, oh. 
can't be Peter, it must be his angel. Because that sounds more logical, right? <laughs> Is that your first thought? In what world were they living in that it sounded more logical for an angel to be at the door than Peter? That's just weird. Why do they see so much more of the supernatural in certain countries where, you know, maybe it's more of the dark side, but they're also more apt to get healed and have great healing services. Why? Because they have more faith in the unseen realm than we do. And it's something we can build. We can begin to build a concept and a construction in our brain for another realm that something else is possible, that the supernatural is possible. You know, I can remember thinking, well, I'll tell a little story to this. <laughs> the church that we were on staff at when we first got saved had some witches come and cursed the church and they drew a big pentagram on the church. And so all of us intercessors got together and we had great faith in this curse. So we're like praying like mad, you know, because it's like if we don't stop this, bad will happen. We were convinced of it because we had faith for the power of a curse. And years later, God goes, you know, I didn't have a problem with you praying to break the power of the curse. I just want to know why you had more expectation from a curse than the pastor's blessing. Hmm. Because the pastor would, at the end, you know, bless everybody, and everybody go, <sighs> picture it, altar call. You find out there's a witch standing up there, and she starts speaking over you. And then you go over here, and a Christian starts speaking over you. Which one do you have the most faith for? If you think about a curse only lasts through a few generations, but a blessing up to a hundred generations. I'm misquoting that, but you get the idea. Because a blessing has power. We just don't understand. I mean, in the Old Testament, Jacob lied and cheated to get one. When's the last time you lied and cheated to get a blessing? My husband and I started fake sneezing because people would bless you. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> to this day, sometimes when we sneeze, we'll go, was that real? <laughs> But we were trying to build a concept of the power of a blessing. But one day I asked God, why do we have more faith in a curse than a blessing? And he said, well, part of it is because you know what to expect with a curse. 
your health's going to fall apart, your finances are going to fall apart, your relationships are going to fall apart. We have a grid and an imagination for a curse. And he said, unfortunately, my people don't have a grid for a blessing because they're so dependent on performance to get it. It doesn't fit our theology that all of a sudden we're blessed in our going in and blessed in our going out and that we're prosperous and powerful. We don't have a faith for blessings. What do we do about it? We have to do something about it. I wasted so much of my Christian life waiting for God to zap me. Sure, he'll zap people occasionally, but if you really want to grow, it has to be on purpose. We have to change what we believe. We have to begin to see a different reality. One where the supernatural is affecting my everyday life and what I'm believing and what I'm thinking about is, is affecting things. To the point, I read in a book something that just really gripped me. Uh, a pastor had a new um, associate pastor come. They hired him. And one of his jobs was every morning he was supposed to get to the church an hour to 40 minutes early and turn the heater on so that when the people got there, it would be warm. This guy kept forgetting. So the pastor was constantly calling him and checking up on him or arriving early to see if the thing had come on. And it, it just was this battle between the two of them. And so one day he's sitting at his desk and he's like, God, I don't know what else to do with this guy. He just doesn't seem to you know, understand the importance of turning this heater on. And God said, that's because you are still taking responsibility for the heater. He said, you are between me and him. Only one of us can begin to train him. In the unseen realm, even with our kids sometimes, we still feel such this responsibility of, you know, and we're, they can't hear God because we're so loud. We're in, <laughs> something's always happening in the spirit realm. It's like when we try to get people to like us, if we're trying too hard, have you ever noticed well, for instance, if somebody tries too hard because they want me to like them, it makes me nervous, and I don't like to be nervous, so I'm probably going to avoid you. <laughs> not because you're not a great person, but because your stress and striving of trying to perform in the spiritual atmosphere is actually doing the very opposite of what you would like to have done. People are attracted to people of peace. Hmm, yeah. I'm okay with you. I'm okay with me. I mean, don't we all like to be around people who are happy and peaceful? Because and, it just kind of, you know, rubs off on you. It changes your 
you know, that's why we have to realize that the things that we do sometimes are affecting the atmosphere. I read in um, a psychology book that they did a study and they took a group of volunteers and they had them fill out this big long um, form because they were trying to decide where each person was emotionally. Were they super happy, super hopeful for life? Were they fearful or stressed or depressed, whatever? So they, they categorized everybody. And some of, quite a few of the people actually were just neutral. I'm neither wildly angry or depressed, but I'm not super joyful either. I'm just neutral. So they took all the neutral people and put them in a room, and then they would choose one of the people who was either wildly joyful or wildly fearful or whatever, and they would take that one person, put them in the room with the neutral people, and tell them, you're not allowed to talk. They made them sit in there for a couple hours. And at the end of the couple hours, they had them all retake the test. And every single one of them rated higher in the emotional scale of whatever that person had, whether it was joy or fear. Why? Because we don't need words to influence people. The thing I discovered is you don't want to be the neutral. You want to begin to build something in you that people want. And it's not impossible. It's not about just, I'm going to work up joy. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm joyful. Good luck with that. And I don't believe it changes anybody. It actually has to be a state of being. I mean, I went after peace so much. I practiced peace. Part of my devotions was just becoming one with the Prince of Peace. Allowing myself to relax. Because I read that 80% of all Americans live under constant stress and don't know it. It seems normal. That's why people get my encounter CD, and it's all about peace, and they keep saying, I fall asleep. And it's like, well, yeah, it's the first time you've sat there without any stress. Listen to it a few more times until your body relaxes and you get into a place where you can actually have an encounter. It's really hard to have an encounter under stress. The best place to hear God is from a place of peace. But if we don't know how to get there, we don't know how to receive it, I'll tell you how to receive it the same way you receive Jesus as Savior by faith. Did you always feel saved when you got saved? <laughs> or did you begin a warfare 
I'm saved whether I feel like it or not. And then pretty soon that war is over. You always feel saved no matter what. That's what happens when we receive peace by faith. It's an actual substance that God has imparted in me. I don't feel it yet, but by faith I know he gives me whatever I ask for if it's in his will. And by faith, I actually take time to let it wash over me, to feel its effects, because I believe in the substance of it. So, when we want something and we want to learn how to receive it, we have to be self-aware. A lot of times, like if I'm trying to hear God, I'm trying to be aware of, am I waiting on God for the answer in peace or am I striving and my brain's like, oh, I need to hear, I need to, I, God, I need to know what I should do. And it's like, why doesn't he talk? I need him so badly if I don't know what the answer is. And it's like, why is it you can't ever hear him that way? I'll tell you why. Your stress and, and your unbelief that he can get the answer to you actually creates a static in the unseen realm. It's like a radio that's tuned in to a certain station, and then you bring a microwave next to it and turn it on, and it creates all this stuff. So we all can hear is just that we have so much static from our belief systems, our stress, our striving, so that when I start praying for something and I'm, you know, stressed and fearful and anxious about what I'm praying for, God will just stop me now. And he'll say, stop praying about that until you feel my presence. Find my peace because that's the only way you're going to hear. Worship until I am bigger than your problem. Find your place of peace. Begin to realize how often our belief systems and, and emotions are creating this whole static stuff going on. So the brain's really kind of amazing. I heard a doctor say once that your brain doesn't know the difference between an actual event and the remembrance of the event. So, and this is what he said. He said, if you offend me and I go home and rehearse it in my mind 30 times or even go to someone and rehearse it and tell them what you did, the next time I see you, you're going to be wondering, why is she so offended? All I did was this. And I'm like, no, you did it 31 times. Because I felt the pain of it 31 times. Do you know what a testimony is? It's the spirit of prophecy. And it's rehearsing what God has done. 
in telling other people what God has done. If I go and rehearse or go tell someone what you did to me, it becomes my testimony. And it's the spirit of prophecy. What if, instead of rehearsing your last great failure, instead of rehearsing the last time God didn't come through, which begins to build a belief system, what if we began to rehearse our last great encounter with God and we rehearse the last time that we heard God really clearly and we rehearsed it so many times, our brain thinks, oh yeah, God does this all the time. And it builds up our faith. And we start actually believing. Yeah, this is normal. What are we rehearsing? And the funny thing is, is that when we rehearse, Moments like, you know, something happens to us and it, it makes us feel shameful or we're hurt by something someone said. And when we rehearse it, the normal thing people do is they rehearse it and think about it until the emotion reappears until that chemicals released in their body of shame or fear or hopelessness, whatever it is. We need to think about the last great encounter with God until the same emotion of that actual event reestablishes itself in us. Think on it until it does something to your emotions. We do this, you know, so easily. We're, we do the negative, but hardly anybody does it in the positive. Because we don't understand what it's doing to our brain and to our body and how we view life and what it's doing in the unseen realm. And if you, you're thinking, well, I've never had a last great encounter with God, make one up. I don't care. <laughs> Read somebody else's testimony. I mean, I take it seriously. If my brain doesn't know the difference between a real event and something I'm imagining, I'll just imagine it. If you think about it, a lot of the stuff that we think happened that we were hurt over, sometimes it never actually happened. I had a friend call, well, we were just getting to know each other at the time, and um, we had gone out for coffee or something, and you know, about three hours later, she calls and she goes, I was really hurt by what you said. And I'm like rushing through my head thinking, I don't know what I said. And she pulls out this thing that she thought I said. And I'm like, 
No, that's not what I said or meant. But that's what she was looking for. You find what you're looking for. When we first started pastoring in Weaverville, it was quite a few years ago, so when we would have our prophetic teams prophesy after the service, we always had these little tiny tape recorders, and then we would send people home with a tape. You guys know what a tape is, right? Any young people out here? We'd send them home with it so that they could re-listen to what God had to say about them. So this one girl, she was invited. She wasn't even a Christian. She came to church. She went up for a prophetic word. They gave her this great word, and she is horribly offended. And she goes home, and she's crying, and she's like, God, why would they say those things? And then all of a sudden, she had this thought, I'm going to listen to that again. And she turned it on, and she realized it hadn't been said. The in, have you ever noticed that the enemy can take something? And I used to have great faith for this because I used to you know, mediate between people as a leader. And it was almost like I could physically see this person say something and on its way over, the enemy would just kind of twist it just a little bit. And by the time it got to this person, it was nowhere near what was meant. So I had great faith in that. And then I, because I, like I said, I love to experiment. I'm going to take this supernatural thing as far as God will let me go. If it doesn't work out, that's fine. So I decided, hmm, if the enemy can take what someone said and mess it up to hurt people, then why can't I say something completely wrong and God just kind of fluff it over so they hear it right. So to get rid of any stress I had in public speaking, I decided that even if I say something wrong, people are going to hear it right. They're going to hear what God wants them to hear. I can't tell you, after I started believing and declaring that kind of stuff, I had people coming up and going, oh, when you said blah, 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 man, that just really changed my life. And I'd be thinking, I didn't say that. <laughs> what message were you listening to? But I had faith for that. What happens with our words, it, it, their, their spirit and their life and we have to remember that spirit is both dark and light. So it's either a dark spirit writing on your words or the spirit of God. And sometimes we don't even mean for it to be dark. But one of the things that I'll never forget is... Bill Johnson came out to Nevada from 1991 to 2001 when we pastored. He came every single year and preached. He was our kind of our mentor and father. And he would preach and leave. And we would have people come up to Steve and I and go, Oh, did you hear what Bill said when he said that? 
It rocked my world. I mean, that was just so revelatory. And I can remember thinking, I never said it out loud, but I can remember thinking, we've said that. <laughs> we quoted that scripture. How come it didn't rock your world when we said it? And it was just like so puzzling to me. And years later, God said, you know, the reason it rocked their world when he said it is because the more inner unity and agreement you have with a, a promise or the word of God, the greater weight and authority it carries. And he said, the reason it didn't rock your world is you didn't really have inner unity with that belief. You knew it was true here. You knew it was Bible. But the inner unity is what adds the weightiness to it. When you're so totally convinced, it's why certain people have such a great anointing with, with healing. And sometimes it's even with certain sicknesses. Some people will have a great anointing for cancer and maybe not for you know a limb growing out. And it's usually because of the inner unity they have for each of those things. It's why we can have inner unity and pray for someone else to get well, but not for ourselves. Because we may have an opposing belief that actually waters it down. So it, it, it's incumbent on it. At what time are we supposed to be done? Three? Yeah, it wasn't on the, <laughs> the list, I think. It just said 1.30 windy. It's like, do I stay here till midnight? It's incumbent on us to actually get into the inner unity. I remember praying once for unity for the body of Christ because somebody told me that we weren't going to see revival until the body of Christ got into unity. And that is such a depressing theology. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to happen. Revival will bring unity. His presence will bring unity. So I'm like praying, oh, God, bring unity. And he's like, Wendy, if I could just get you into unity with yourself, I could change the world. I was like, ah. All it takes is one person in inner unity with a belief or a promise, something. Because when you are totally convinced something happens in the unseen realm, you are now carrying something. You know, every time we overcome something, we get a crown. Is that in First John or something? He who overcomes will gain a crown of life. What's a crown represent? Authority. When we overcome something, we're now convinced that this can happen. And we have more authority over it because of that. 
And we all have different areas that we're, we have maybe you know, greater unity than someone else for. That's why we need each other. But what do we really believe? How much are we really questioning? You know, if we think that just because we have a mental agreement with the word of God that we believe it, we are deceived. We don't live from here. We live from our subconscious belief systems. So once I understood that, I started you know, researching on how do we get unconscious belief systems that are ruling our life, that are at odds to what we know is true. I know God loves me, but I don't feel lovable. How do I get rid of the deeply held thing that's in me? How did I get it? And so in my research, I came up with three ways that we build our subconscious belief systems. And the first one is the easiest, it's repetition. When you were a little kid, if somebody kept telling you you're stupid, your inner belief system is gonna be you're stupid. You can work hard, you can get a degree, a master's degree, and still believe you're stupid. At the very least, you'll think you're more stupid than everybody else with the same degree. I'm less than them. Repetition, what you hear, what happens to you a lot, you're building something. That's why my husband and I talk about declaration all the time. You're not declaring things to make other people believe it. You're declaring it so you believe it. Yes. So repetition. The second was very interesting. You know we all have different brain wave links depending on what we're doing. So when you're asleep, the wavelengths of your brain are further apart, if you picture, you know, a graph. When you're actively working or talking, you're in another brain wave. It just, that's, you know, we are, are beings that have frequencies. So what they discovered is that when you're in the theta brain wave, you are more susceptible to believe whatever's being said. And you can hear things differently. So we are in that brain wave just before you fall asleep. You're still awake, but you're just about to fall asleep. And also when you're just waking up. Your brain is in this nice, beautiful thing. It's why sometimes we've been trying to hear from God and we're just waking up and all of a sudden an idea comes, an answer comes. It's like, why don't we make that work for us? The reason non-Christians believe in meditating 
is because when you meditate, if you're doing it correctly, your brain goes into the theta brain wave length. When you're worshiping, really worshiping, not striving worshiping, but uh, there's just no words. You're just in his presence. Your brain goes into the theta brain wavelength. That's why during worship, we also hear God more clearly. Ideas come, creative things. We get a breakthrough and a belief. It's like, yeah, that is true. I've been fighting to believe God loved me, and all it took was this worship time when I was in this mode, and God said he loved me, and it, it penetrated. Do you know why they say that if you're going to have your children learn another language, to teach it to them before they're at the age of seven? It's because until they're seven or thereabouts, their brain is constantly in the theta brain wavelength. They learn easier. They're going to believe they're stupid when you say it because their brain is in that place to receive. That's why I believe in having that place of peace with God. Being still before him. I started, I, I, in the 90s, there was this big thing about soaking prayer. And I heard so many testimonies of people I really admired that their ministries took off because they were spending time just waiting on God. And to me, before that, prayer was talking. So I'm like, wow, really worked for them. Look at the anointing they have. So I started soaking. And like I say, sometimes I take things a little far. I, I started soaking like four to five hours a day. Uh, you know, we were pastoring, and so I could do that. And something happened, literally happened to my life because I sat in his presence, just waiting. I would have, you know, worship songs on, and I'd be just waiting there, and the phrase in a worship song would come, and all of a sudden I'd start getting these downloads and connections to other scriptures and revelation and wisdom because when you're in that meditative state of just waiting on God, your brain is in the right wavelength to begin to hear the wisdom of God and to hear. And then also, I, I don't want to miss out on the fact that it's impossible to be in his presence and not be changed. We have to believe that because there were some times I would go to soak in the sanctuary and just wait on God and it would just be blah. It was like, well, that was a waste of three hours. And I remember him talking to me about, well, if that's your faith, so be it. But can you believe that something happened in that three hours that you're unaware of? I mean, think about it. When your car says it's empty of gas, you go to a gas station and you pull this thing out and you put it in your gas tank and 
you never see gas. But by faith, you believe that something was transferred from here to here, so much so that you'll spend time just sitting there. And then you'll go pay 50 bucks for something you never saw. And believe that you're now going to be able to drive your car for the next week. And he said, that's what happens when you sit in my presence. Sometimes it's over the top revelation and intimacy and love. And sometimes it's like, nothing happened. No. Don't withdraw your faith. Just believe you were in his presence. You soaked up who he was. And you're carrying it. So the third way that you develop a subconscious belief system. And I just want to paraphrase this with when it's a subconscious belief system, we can forget what we actually believe, but it will still be influencing the rest of your life. You're not thinking, oh, nobody likes me, nobody likes me. It's just a subconscious belief system. So, we have to find out what they are. What's the lie? What's the emotion I have that doesn't line up with the word and the promises? And then, okay, God, what's the truth? What's the lie? And begin to, on purpose, change your belief. So the third way that you get an unconscious belief system, and this is from a secular book that I was reading, it said it's through trauma. When something very traumatic happens, we're more open to a new belief. That's why people will be raped and they will believe they're shameful because that was the emotion that came in with this traumatic event and they don't even realize this deep-seated belief system. Even though in their mind, they can say, yeah, God took my shame. But I still feel shameful. I still feel unworthy. So I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> Re repetition? Getting my brain into the right brain wavelength? I can do that. <laughs> Why does the enemy have one extra tool? And God said, and this is just, you know, this wasn't in the book. This is what God told me. He said it... it doesn't have to be a dramatic negative experience. A dramatic positive experience will also change your life. We've all had it when we got saved. We've had those moments where we encountered God and all of a sudden, the light goes on and it changes our belief system. 
I mean, my whole identity shifted when I shared this morning about that um, vision of dancing with Jesus. I didn't have to try to feel loved anymore. I was like so, I mean, I had a dramatic encounter with love that I no longer had to worry about whether I was lovable or not. One encounter with God. Just like one encounter with darkness can change you, one encounter with light and love can change you. And that we can choose. That we can begin to spend time. God. And I think that's why the Sozo ministry takes off, is be, excuse me, is because they lead people into an encounter. Like one of my belief systems before all this was that nobody wanted to hear anything I had to say. That's partly why I was shy and could never think of anything to say. I, I would be like, I meet a new person and I can't think of a thing to say. But what I didn't realize is my brain couldn't find something to say because it believed nobody wanted to hear anything I said. I was opposing myself. They actually say that if you don't believe there's a solution, your brain doesn't look for one. It feels like you're looking for a solution, but it's not because it believes there isn't one. So before you're going to find a solution, you have to start declaring there is one. Get your brain to believe it. That was a side note. Where was I going? <sighs> I wasn't talking about solutions. Uh, yes, because they, they hear from God. So my problem is, is that I believe nobody wanted to hear from me. So when we were still pastoring in Nevada in the 90s, um, someone else was in charge of Sozo. They no longer go to, they don't live in Reading. But he came out to our church, and we were all in a group. And so he was, you know, asking us, you know, ask Holy Spirit what the big lie is that you believe. And mine was nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. And then God just took me back to, I'm the youngest of six kids. None of them wanted to hear what the baby of the family had to say. <laughs> I hope you're the youngest and not the old. <laughs> I had a subconscious belief system based on the experience of being the baby of the family. And so then he goes, now ask God what the truth is. And I immediately went into this vision where Jesus put a pearl necklace on me. And then he said, he put me up in front of a church and said, give them away. Everything shifted. I had an encounter. And it was straight from God. My husband had been trying to tell me that I had things to say for years. But something shifted when I believed it. 
when I heard it from him. That's why, you know, yeah, we can get revelation from other people, but your most life-changing revelations will be the ones when it's just you and God alone. And he gives something to you that all of a sudden, oh, that makes sense. Well, well sometimes it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, I, I come from a long line of fearful people. My mom was always afraid. She wouldn't drive at night by herself. She didn't want to go, you know, out in the woods by herself or even with her husband. I mean, she was always thinking of negative things that could happen. So my life was filled with fear. And when I got married, and sometimes my husband, who was on staff at the church, they would have really late meetings, you know, like till midnight. And I'm home alone. This is before we had kids. And I'd be so fearful. And the enemy was so, you know, because somebody said, well, when you have those fear, just read the Bible. I'm like, I can't because Satan told me that if I read the Bible, he'll be worse. I mean, that's how much fear I had. And so I'm like, God, I, I, I don't, I don't. I'm not supposed to live in this fear. And one day I'm reading the scripture and I think it was the, the one about they that wait upon the Lord, you know, will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And I don't know how I got this, but it set me free from fear. It was like, I, I saw something in it that was like, yeah, you know. And then a year later, I'm thinking, and I was like, that scripture's got nothing to do with fear. <laughs> How did I get from here to there? <laughs> but that's God. It's just an encounter. He can just open things up for us. And understanding that supernatural realm of, I don't have to try harder. I need to believe something different. I need to go after my belief systems. One of Steve and I's favorite things, you know, we don't live in 24-hour joy and hope. I hope that doesn't disappoint you. Our, our goal isn't really even to do that. Our goal is that we don't go as low as we used to go and we don't stay there as long. Joy is the goal, but we celebrate the fact that, wow, I was only depressed for two days instead of two weeks. I must be growing. Because I used to think, oh, I'm back where I started. Here I am, back in depression. No, I've built a muscle. Well, now I can go two weeks without depression. And I don't stay there as long when I fall into it. So that's the goal. And again, my brain just shut off. Where was I going before I talked about that? Okay, we, we don't 
live there. No, that was not it. That was part of the rabbit trail. <laughs> I must be. No, we'll just skip that. Oh, no, I remember now. So we actually, when we feel, you know how you get blindsided by something? You thought you were doing okay financially, and then all of a sudden you get some big giant bill for 10,000 bucks, and it's like, Wah. you literally feel heavy. It's like, oh, no, or, or your son or daughter make a stupid decision, and now it's like, Ugh. Now we are trying to be self-aware of when the spirit of heaviness and unbelief or a lie is affecting us. And this, this is all for free. This is a phrase that will change your life. I used it on my husband. It worked. <laughs> yeah. So he was really feeling under something, and he was like, God, you know, Wendy, I need to talk to you about this. I just don't know what to do. And I could just, I could literally see, because I'm a feeler and I kind of see in the spirit realm, I could see this heaviness on him. And out of my mouth, I just go, huh, what do you need to believe to have hope for that? That's your phrase. What do I need to believe to have hope for that? What belief would make me feel hopeful about my finances? What belief would make me feel hopeful about my unsaved son? What belief would make me be hopeful about my life again? Because if I can find that and begin to declare it and to begin to change my inner belief systems on it, everything will shift. I remember when we were dealing with our hopelessness and going after hope, and one day I'm praying for the country, our nation. And don't you just love how God loves to just mess with your head? And he goes, hey, Wendy, do you have hope for the national debt? I'm like, no, sir. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Why? I'm like, do you know how big it is? And he said something so amazing. He said, Wendy, I can get rid of the national debt in a day. All it takes is for somebody to have an invention or find something in the, in the soil that every other country in the world wants. I can do it in a day. And he said, I'm looking for people who believe I can demolish the national debt. The reason nothing's happening with the national debt is because everybody thinks it's impossible. We may pray for it, but we don't have a belief system that it can be done. It can be done. What do I need to believe 
to have hope for this. Write it down. Use repetition. Think about it just before you fall asleep. That's one of the things that hit me about Bill Johnson back in the early days is he said, I'm very conscious of my last thought before I fall asleep because I'm going to wake up continuing it. Don't go to bed thinking and worrying. Go to bed declaring. I used to wake up every morning and my inner thought life was, ah, how do I feel today? Oh, it's a really busy day. It's going to be a tiring day. I would feel tired before I got out of bed because I had already imagined it's a busy day. I, it, it's going to be a tiring day. I'll just be tired now. <laughs> or in my mind, it would flash that I've got to do something that I don't feel confident in doing. And so it, I would think, oh, I feel overwhelmed today because i got to do something I don't think I can do. And then God said, Wendy, that's the wrong question to ask every morning. Do not ask, how do I feel today? He said, instead, ask the question, what do I believe today? And it shifts your emotions, especially if you say it as if you believe it. What do I... Oh, what do I believe today? And if you're like me, you know, before a cup of coffee, I have no idea what I believe today. I'm like, I'm just lucky to be alive. So I actually wrote it down. I had three by five cards. So first thing, wake up, grab my cards. What do I believe today? Oh, yeah, revival go breaks out everywhere I go. Oh, yeah, people are accidentally healed when I walk by. Oh, yeah, I believe that I'm full of wisdom, that I set captives free, that I know how to, you know, do whatever it is I'm going to do today. And I literally, as I spoke it out loud, could feel my body responding to it. James 3 says that your tongue is like a rudder or a bit in the horse's mouth. It directs your day. Literally. What are you saying? What are you professing? And sure, you know, sometimes I didn't believe it. But that's the goal. And I discovered that the more emotion you put into your words, the quicker you'll believe it. So when you begin to declare things, say it with emotion, and the other thing is throw in a sh sh shaking of the fist or a stomping of the foot, because they've proven that when you actively get involved in it, you, you'll believe it faster. There was a neuroscientists that wanted to see the effect on, on the body by what you say. So he took a guy, hooked him up to a bunch of graphs and machinery, and then told him what to say. And he said, say, I'm weak or tired. I can't remember which one it was. So the guy's he's hooked up to all these graphs, and he goes, 
I am weak. And the doctor said, everything that was hooked up to graphs showed that his body began to prepare for weakness. There's a reason why sports teams before a game don't huddle together and go, oh, I hope we can win. I hope you don't mess up like you did last time. There's a reason. There's a reason the coach fires them up and then makes them, you know, we're winners, we're gonna get them, we have the victory. There's a reason we sing songs about victory and we yell it out because it actually motivates and changes our very being. Give God's spirit a voice. I don't care if it feels like it's not true. It will become true. Our experience will always catch up to our belief system. And the gap time is called faith. So we're changing our belief system. We're declaring, we're declaring. And then, and it, it, it takes different amount of time for different belief systems, just depending on how big of a stronghold you have. Some things I'm still working on. <laughs> but there's other things that my life has been transformed. You cannot tell me that declarations don't work when 80% of the declarations 20 years ago I'm living. You're not going to convince me that it doesn't change your life. The gap times faith. When I fully believe this, when this is, I'm in so total unity with this that I don't care what the circumstances look like. When Jesus cursed the fig tree, the fig tree was still alive when he left it. That's because in the unseen realm of the root system, it had died, but it hadn't manifested. When you receive your healing by faith, your spirit grabs hold of that promise. And sometimes we don't see the manifestation yet, but we can stand and say that I know this cancer is dying from the roots up. When you cut a rose off of a rose bush, it's literally dead, but yet it will bloom. You cut it off as a bud, put it in water, it will bloom, but it's dead. It has no root system. The unseen realm, we cannot base our belief system on what we're seeing now or what we saw then. Declare it. Some of this stuff that Steve and I declared was so ridiculous, we made sure nobody knew what we were declaring. <laughs> we were pastoring a little tiny church in the middle of nowhere in the desert. 
and we were declaring that we influence nations for Christ. That looked totally impossible. Our natural mind couldn't conceive of it. Nobody knew who we were. And the people who did know who we were didn't like us. <laughs> well, some of them anyway. <sighs> Anything's possible. You shift what you believe, and it shifts the atmosphere around you, and that's part of the process of getting there. We have to resonate with a truth to such, you know, where you want to be is a different frequency from where you are. And your belief systems, you have to get a different belief system, system so that you begin to vibrate. You know, this is new age sounding, but it's the best wording I have for what we're doing. We're actually getting a belief system till we get into this unity. It's kind of like when you hear someone sing and all of a sudden they hit a note or a sound comes out of them and you feel the atmosphere shift and all of a sudden it's like I was feeling heavy, I was feeling hopeless and all of a sudden everything shifted because they hit a frequency that shifted yours. When we begin to believe something different, this is where I'm going and I'm believing I am it and I can be there. And when I come into inner unity that this is what God has for me and I believe it's going to happen, I'm not worried, I'm not stressed about it, it's just going to happen. And all of a sudden, we raise the frequency. We're in unity. Jesus is so good. You can change your life. Just don't give up on the first step. Find something to that you decide, I want to believe this instead of this. I am tired of being held back by the belief that I'm a failure or nobody likes me or I'm stupid or I can't speak in front of people. You know, I believe in sacrifice. The problem is most people never sacrifice their beliefs. They sacrifice their money, their time, and then when God tries to get them to sacrifice a belief, they're like, but that's not true. When God told me that when I told him I was shy and couldn't speak well in front of anybody, he said, are you willing to sacrifice that belief? Okay, it feels so true. But God, I have experiential proof of shyness. I've got experiential proof that I don't speak well in front of people. Do you want to believe your experience or do you want to believe God? If you want to change, you're going to have to sacrifice some beliefs. You're going to have to sacrifice the belief that you'll never change. You're going to have to sacrifice the belief that your spouse will never change. You're going to have to sacrifice the belief that your child will never change. You're going to have to sacrifice the belief that you'll always be sick. You'll always be overweight. You'll always be in debt. 
are you willing to sacrifice? And sometimes it is. It's a big sacrifice because every emotion within you wants to believe it's true. And it comes up with all of these reasons why it needs to defend its stronghold. And today, the strongholds are coming down. Can we stand and sacrifice? <laughs> oh, I feel an anointing for this. Shoo. Okay. Ask Holy Spirit, what belief do you want me to sacrifice today? You don't have to say it out loud. Just get something in your mind. Whether it's about your finances, a relationship, your ministry. Could be something as simple as nothing happens when I pray. <laughs> I don't care what it is. But picture it, that belief system. Picture it on a piece of paper. And then just take it to God and say, God, I'm willing to sacrifice this. It feels true. I've experienced it, but I'm going to sacrifice it. And just let Holy Spirit play with your imagination. Each of you will see something different as you think about how you're sacrificing, what, it, what it is happening. Just lean into it. Because we want to use our imagination, the womb of faith. We want to believe that this is actually being sacrificed in the name of Jesus. And it will no longer rule my life or direct my path. I sacrifice this. And then, because Jesus is all about the great exchange, ask Holy Spirit, what do I need to believe to have hope for this? Put it into words. You want a concrete belief, a declaration, if you will. Holy Spirit. There's even angels in the room that are helping you. Just relax. If you're striving and trying too hard, just be at peace. Just rest. It'll come to you. He'll get it to you. You don't have to try to wrest it from him. Just in your mind, think, God's going to give it to me. He's going to give me what I need to believe. I'm going to see it. And picture what happens when that comes true. Like Joyce Myers, when she was smoking that cigarette and saying, I am free from the bondage of nicotine. I hate smoking. Just come up with something. Burn it in your heart. Picture your spirit man shaking its fist and making a declaration 
a prophecy over your life that this thing no longer has power over you. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. He's come to give life and that life more abundantly. I feel like there's somebody <clears throat> that believes that they can't hear God and that's what you need to sacrifice. You do you do hear God. Sometimes you're not recognizing that it is him, but you're hearing. You've been doing things all along by the nudging of the Spirit, but because you don't hear the same way as someone else that you've heard talk about hearing, you think you don't hear. You just hear differently. So, Father, I thank you that we're leaving this place with new tools in our tool belt to see change, to believe for things that we've never been able to believe for in our life. And I pray that you would help us come into inner unity with this new belief that we can begin to access the promises of God like never before. Clarity, vision, dreams. If you want dreams and you don't have them, in the name of Jesus, I just release them. You will remember your dreams. You will begin to dream. Fight for it. You're a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. Thank you, Father, for your supernatural life. May we actually live it till people are wondering how we do the things we do. And that each one here, you qualify. If you've accepted the blood of Jesus, you qualify for every promise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.